Hello and welcome to another episode of a Brothers Creed podcast where we talk about motivation, experiences, and exploring the world around us. We're the Thomas Brothers, and I'm Ethan. And I'm Jared, and today we have a, an interesting episode for you. We have we interview uh, Matt Domiensik. He is a former police officer. He was a member of the SWAT team. He's a, a wellness coordinator. Um, he, he worked within this agency to work with other police officers to kind of handle trauma and different stressors. He used to be a, a collegiate coach at one point, a strength coach for Georgetown and Yale. Uh, right now, he's working as kind of a wellness coach and also a spiritual leader for some of the police officers that are having a difficult time, and he's kind of helped supporting them. He also has a, a master's in forensic science, sport psychology, and also an MA in pastoral theology. So he's got a lot of cool experience, interesting mix of, you know, kind of what we would think of as, as masculine, you know, running after chasing after people, shooting guns and doing all these things, lifting weights, and then he's got this spiritual aspect uh, as well. So this is a great episode. We're actually going to split this one into two parts. Uh, and so this is the first part of that conversation we had with him. You might notice that the first couple minutes of this episode is a little bit fuzzy. We were able to fix the audio and sounded great from there. Let's go ahead and dive into this episode. All right, let's do it. You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a man with true grit. I am the one who knocks. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! That's how winning is done! Okay, Matt Domiancic, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're really pleased to have you on. We just uh, gave you your intro, and you have so much, ex- such a variety of experiences, uh, and we wanted to have you on and, and, and maybe have you... Coach us a little bit and, and talk to us a little bit about uh, two things. Uh, first, what we want to talk about today is about mental mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. I know that there's a lot of guys right now that are struggling uh, with their mental health. Uh, women too, but I think guys are in a specific, sometimes in a unique situation in which they don't feel like they can share that or they don't have mm. other men to lean on uh, when they are going through a tough time. Uh, you know, the, su- the male suicide rate is is much higher than and females. And so I think that there's a need for men to find healthy outlets for their stresses uh, and, and not go to, uh, com- you know, behaviors like drinking themselves into a stupor or, you know, indulging in pornography or uh, eating, eating themselves to death or, or so many other different destructive habits that sometimes guys will turn to to try to, you know, buffer their stresses. Uh, so I know that you've gone through a, a unique experience, and not only in your own life, but also with uh, helping uh, other police officers uh, uh, with a difficult time. So I wanted to kind of turn the time over to you, and, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that difficult experience and a little bit about how you got over that and how you have helped others uh, through mental tough times. Okay, so what we're speaking about probably is my medical retirement. So. I was living the dream at a time when being a cop was still a very cool job. It's totally kind of different now, unfortunately, but I was a police academy instructor. I was on the SWAT team, had a take-home car. I got to lift weights and shoot guns and train people and lifting weights and all kinds of cool stuff. And I also was a strength coach at Georgetown and leading campus ministry for athletes. So for me, it was just a very... It really was my dream to 
the around sports and getting to mentor people at a very formational time in their life. That's tied into ministry and then also being a police officer. I get hurt. I have some surgeries that go bad and really bad, actually, and was over medicated on all kinds of drugs that shut down my immune, my endocrine and my digestive system. Um, and I tried multiple corrective surgeries. The work comp system is a nightmare. Um, and ultimately led to a medical retirement. And I was obese and chronic pain, chronically ill, had to wear diapers, had no control of my bodily functions. And I went from this healthy fit SWAT guy and strength coach that could lift weights with the football players to completely broken, um, mentally, emotionally, physically, which is like, <laughs> it's bad. Yeah. Uh, and it's also bad for men in any profession, but especially military and first responders. Uh, so much of your identity for men in general is our careers. Now, those careers are even uh, much different because it's like life and death. And you have like really close bonds with your brothers and sisters that you're doing that stuff with. So here's the kicker. And what I think is different about my story than a lot of stories that are presented with first responders and veterans and also just men sharing their stories in general, which is extremely healthy rather than holding things in and numbing and distracting ourselves that you mentioned some of the most common things that men do. Um, I had a very healthy lifestyle and habits and a support system and a faith life um, and mentors and elders and very close friends, you know, Everybody needs a friend you can call at 3 a.m. and share anything that's going on in your life, and they're not going to judge you or give you unsolicited advice. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people, especially men, have those kind of friends. I did. Whatever reason, I was kind of a weirdo that I, I did all this macho alpha male stuff, but I've also been always a big teddy bear and super sentimental and had a lot of female friends because they're more emotionally intelligent and tapped into their uh, interior lives more than us, especially in high school and college and when we're younger. I've never had a stigma with reaching out for help. In fact, uh, there's something called spiritual direction. Uh, not many Christians are familiar with it. All the religious traditions have it. Um, in a generic sense, let's say it's a form of counseling and sharing your spiritual journey with someone else who is further along the path than you. And I also would find, in my case, priests who are also therapists. They had the background in theology and psychology. I had been doing that since 21 years old. Um, and I had no problems once I realized I had exceeded my ability to cope with all of those medical things and uh, inability to do the things I love. And I, I realized I was depressed. I mean, being involved in ministry and peer support with cops, I knew all the signs. And I recognized them and I said, hey, I want to go to therapy. So even with being in therapy, having mentors and being somebody that ate healthy, exercised, journaled, uh, meditated, like on down the line, like I didn't own a TV for 13 years. When I was doing all this stuff, I had an apartment that was a mattress on the floor, a bookshelf and a desk with candles. I would get home from my shift, pray, meditate, journal. You know, worked out every day, ate strict, took supplements. So going into my problems, I already had the tools and the support system, and it still was an absolute nightmare. Um, and that's where I want to encourage people. We 
as human beings, pain, loss, and change is coming sooner or later. At some point in your life, you're going to lose things and people that you love, things are going to change and there's going to be pain and suffering. But our culture wants to pretend that doesn't exist. Uh, here's all the magic bullets, hunky-dory, we should be happy all the time. What are you doing now in your lifestyle and in your habits to deal with pain and adversity and suffering? So when the big one hits, it's not like we have to wait till you are addicted, going through a divorce and suicidal to say, let's get you therapy, let's get you an AA. And at least with a lot of men, cops, and for sure cops, firemen, and veterans, we wait until it's, it's an addiction or more than one addiction, uh, PTSD, depression, insomnia, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. And then we say, here, why don't you go to therapy? Here, let's go on this retreat and do yoga, journaling, meditation, spend time in nature, talk to a therapist, share your story with peers, which is so healing, um, and recognize that you're not the only dude going through this. And I've heard the stories dealing with first responders, especially at PTSD and substance rehab facilities, mm -hmm. all of the stories usually start with something to the effect that I joined the military or became a first responder. I didn't think this stuff bothered me. And then eventually what I call your misery cup overflows. If you're not managing it, if you are not leaning into the pain and suffering and adversity in your life and pouring out a little of that misery cup and filtering it, and looking at what are the lessons to be learned, even in pain, even in darkness, there are lessons to be learned. If you're not doing that, eventually the misery cup overflows. And then people say, you know what? I remembered when I was molested as a kid, or I remember how hard it was when my parents got divorced and I lost my buddy in combat. And then 15 years of these horrible calls, all this trauma as a cop or a fireman come flooding back. But I never told anybody because I thought I was the only one. And everybody else would just say, suck it up or walk away from the scene and act like it didn't bother them. But I got news for everybody. A dead kid or seeing any loved one die and you see their family dealing with the pain of that loss should break your heart too, or you're not human, you're a sociopath. And it doesn't mean that it has to break you down to where you have PTSD and suicide. I think that's just because we don't give people the tools to deal with these things as they're going on and throughout our life. So we can kind of use it as our emotional or psychological and our spiritual weightlifting. Yeah. A lot of times, so yeah, a lot of times people will just, instead of kind of dealing with the problems as they come up throughout the, the 15 years or whatever. Yeah. Like you say, you just kind of wait until that cup overflows and then you explode and you have an issue that you're, you're dealing with, mm -hmm. which is interesting. So one of the questions I had, you talked about your, your cup running or <laughs> with misery, and you mentioned these guys don't have the tools um, to pour some of that out. Can you talk about what some of those tools are? You, you mentioned you know talking with someone that you trust that's not going to judge you, that's going to be open-minded. Uh, what are some of those tools that the guys can do to, to pour out a little bit of that cup of, of misery or, or stress or, or whatever it may be? So every one of us is going to have ind individual needs and preferences for how we're going to deal with that. Like for me, I had a framework of my faith life. I had a framework based on different orientations of psychology that I had been using either through self-study and different mentors and different friends. Um, so for everybody, it's going to be different, but how do you find purpose and meaning even through pain, adversity, suffering, and loss? 
And our society doesn't teach that because we try to avoid discomfort. And we focus on the numbing and the distraction, like let's be on our phones, let's be on social media, get in the car, turn on the radio, walk in the house, turn on the TV, text your friends, like nobody's spending time just dealing with their thoughts, like what's going on in your head and your heart, what's going on with your feelings and your emotions. And then if you're a guy, we're not supposed to talk about your feelings or emotions because that means you're weak or you're broken or you're all these names that, you know, we're not going to say on the podcast. So everybody's tools are going to be different, but what tools are we teaching people? If you didn't get it from mom and dad, if you didn't get it from your teachers and your coaches and your, your faith system, um, I don't know if that answered your question. Yeah, I, I think I think one one thing that I got from that is trying to find a specific person, kind of like your person, right? I mean, it's interesting because I can I can think of right now probably three people that my wife have that's that's like her person, right? That she could call up at you know whatever time of day and that they would answer and that they would listen and everything else. And for me, I'm trying to think, you know, who who who's my person? It's like, well, you know. My, Maybe Jared, you know, maybe, maybe my brother, maybe it's just like... I'd answer the phone. Yeah, it's like, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe my dad, you know, it's like, who, who's that person for me? But I think the important thing is, is kind of finding that that person that's going to that's gonna listen and not judge you. It's like a c- complete non, you know, I'm just here to, to listen to you. I'm not soliciting an advice or anything else. It's just, just, just the, the fact of listening. And I think a lot of guys just need that. They just need... You know, I have a I have a good friend who he was uh, kind of going through some rough times after his wife had a baby, and and it was just really hard. And and we, I was like, hey man, well, let's go out to dinner and let's just talk. And you know, I'd been through something similar, and and uh, we just talked for like an hour, and and then I was like, well, you know, um, if it's really to a point to where you know counseling is not it's not a non manly thing, and he was like. Well, he's like, actually, I feel a lot better after we just talked about it. He's like, I've just been bottling this up for the past six months and haven't talked to anybody. But just talking about things is a huge step in the right direction. Oh, for sure. It is very healing to share our story. And if you don't have that friend, I'm I'm a huge fan. And even before I started going to therapy myself, I tried to destigmatize it to my buddies all the time. And when you're dealing with athletes or cops, all this macho crap, it's like a lot to overcome. And then there's the the problem of finding a good therapist. But a good therapist or for me, that thing called spiritual direction um, and then having the, the friends that don't judge and listen and do not give unsolicited advice. And then also, if you can have some kind of different communities for some people, that might be the jujitsu school, the the CrossFit's popular. I don't care if it's bowling, hunting, fishing. Can you find community? Because community is the number one factor for longevity. Yeah. Right. That's more important than exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress management. And those things are super important. But where men often struggle is having community and good friends outside of speaking about work, sports, sex, politics, money, and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Is there is there other stuff to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> well, so as men, we're only supposed to be happy, horny, or mad, right? Yeah. We deny yeah. all these other emotions. Yeah. And that's just not a reality. And then the yeah. culture stigmatizes it, unfortunately. And those different stories that I've heard from so many men, 
and not just cops and firemen and vets, because I used to do a lot of men's retreats. Mm -hmm. And you hear guys opening up and crying in their 60s and 70s about they remember their father or their uncle or their older brother or somebody saying, I'll give you something to cry about or just different traumatic things at a young age that are telling you to suck it up, bottle it up. Real men don't do this. Real men don't do that. And it's shutting down your humanity and your emotions. Like it's, it's, it really is ludicrous that our culture. And unfortunately, even as men, that's what we're teaching younger men. If we're doing that. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally agree with that. I, one thing that's, I, I find hard to, to do with it is like not give unsolicited advice as a guy you know i have kind of a problem solver i so sometimes i just see you know someone's expressing their their concerns uh, either whether it be my wife or talking to ethan he's just like sharing with me about what's going on in his life and i'm like well, well have you tried this and, and it's just like that's one thing that i need to work on i think sometimes a lot of guys they just try to solve the problem it's like well i know the solution to your problem and here's the solution to that problem when really the solution to what you need to do is just be quiet and listen to what the person is telling you. And then oftentimes, uh, if they say, what do you think I should do? Then that's the gave you permission to actually talk. But most times, some people just need to vent uh, or just talk about what's going on in their lives and, and to have someone hear them and not be like, well, why are, you, you know, why are you doing that? Or what's this? Or try this or try that. They don't want to hear that. They just want to talk to somebody. And so... Uh, it's not just you just fyi yeah. that's how we are programmed as men to be problem solvers and have the answers but i can remember in my first master's degree so 21 22 years old i was reading a book men are from mars and women are from venus and i remember to explain that men just don't shut up and then my <laughs> best friend was doing her master's of divinity at yale uh-huh. so she was psych undergrad at princeton did her mdiv at yale eventually her phd in religion and psych at vanderbilt and an MFT. So I had a very good Christian peer friend that's like a sister to me that used to tell me back then, shut up, Matt, I just need you to listen. (laughs) Right. So she would tell me what to do, then explain what she needed. So I was fortunate uh, enough to have that. And I was reading some books that talked about it. And I've, and it's taken work to become a good listener. It, It takes a lot of work. And that's also where it's beneficial to have a therapist or a spiritual director because they're not emotionally attached to you. Mm-hmm. So they can be a lot more objective because we're listening to friends and family. There is a lot of emotions because we care about them so much. And there's a lot of unconscious stuff going on too. So there is a benefit to therapists, spiritual directors, or if you have a good mentor or elder that can be a little detached from being your buddy and do that listening and respond rather than react And a very good response is not to give them advice when they ask for it. At that point, you start asking them questions. So you use the Socratic method because most of us have the answers within us and it may not be immediate. And that's what we have to do is really work on coming up with the answers and the solutions for ourselves. So even when somebody asks us for advice, if we can think of creative questions to help them try to figure out that answer for themselves, it's going to stick a lot more. And it's also just better when somebody makes the decision for themselves because you don't want to be scapegoated or blamed if you gave somebody some bad advice as well. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Use the Socratic method on them and say, well, if you were, if you, 
were advising someone in your shoes with that problem, how would you approach this you know, problem? And sometimes we get in the mindset of like, oh, this is so terrible. I'm so, this is, you know, this is bad. Or you get so focused on a certain issue that you almost have to like, sometimes I, when I do that, I think like, well, what if I was play devil's advocate to this current situation that I'm in? Or like, what would the opposite opinion, if, if someone had this problem and came to me, what would I say to them? And then sometimes by thinking it through, I'm like, oh yeah, actually, this is a good point. That's a good point. And you can kind of uh, convince yourself just by changing that mental uh, approach. Mm-hmm. There's something that popped into my head on a lot of spirituality retreats and also men's retreats. There's something called way of counsel. And you guys, anybody out there could Google this way of counsel. They've used it in educational settings, spiritual settings, men's and women's retreats. And you're in a circle and you have a sacred object in the middle. And there might be a topic that's brought up and it's for people to share sensitive, deep things. But the, some of the rules are listen from the heart, speak from the heart, don't ramble on. And you can't ask questions or give any feedback to the person after they share their story. And there's a moment of silence and then you thank them for sharing. So somebody may get up, grab the sacred item and share some like really deep stuff from their life. But none of us are going to give feedback. None of us are going to ask questions. And none of it leaves the circle either. It just gives people an opportunity to kind of bear their soul as long as it's a trusted community of people. And and it's very healing. Yeah, that's that's interesting. One of the questions, one of the things you mentioned earlier, I had a question about, you called it like spiritual direction or mm-hmm. what, what is that? Can you explain that more? So spiritual direction, direction may be a, a not the perfect word for it, maybe spiritual companionship. And there's usually two to three year schools and you a lot of people are either uh, clergy. So they have their background in theology and spirituality from that. Then you do an additional two to three years of training and a lot of listening, a lot of depth or analytical psychology, like Jungian stuff, because that's looking at the unconscious, a lot of pastoral counseling. And a lot of the contemplative, which is, if you're not familiar with contemplative Christianity, all of the religious traditions have a contemplative or mystical aspect. And those are like the mindfulness, the meditation, and the reflective prayer practices Mm -hmm. that as far as Christianity, there's a historical context to where we moved away from it. We had the enlightenment. And what happened? Because there a lot of prayer forms back in the day were go out in nature and be in silence and meditate and reflect on things. Mm -hmm. But then the enlightenment happened and everything's about reason and intellect. And then we had the, you know, the reformation where then all the denominations are fighting. Mm -hmm. So then it's all about doctrine. So we're in our heads and then Christians are all arguing about my rules to get to heaven, my my theology of salvation is better than yours. And you guys are going to burn in hell because we're the ones that interpret the Bible better than you. Uh-huh. And that carried on in Christianity for hundreds of years. And then interestingly, interestingly, interesting enough, during the 60s, the Vietnam War, people started getting into uh, the Beatles, what a transcendental meditation and yoga and a Christian monk, Father Thomas Keating, who just passed away a few years ago said, wait a second, all these Christians are leaving the church to do Buddhist meditation, transcendental meditation, and yoga. We had stuff like that. We moved away from it and got in our heads of arguing what Christians are right and arguing about doctrine. So he's tried to bring back 
things that are called like centering prayer. And if anybody looked up the contemplative tradition, hmm. it's very rich with Catholics and Episcopals, but there's tons of resources for evangelicals as well. You just might have to do a little digging. And if somebody was interested, I would encourage them to contact me. I'll do my best, try to help you find resources in your, your tradition. Um, but spiritual directions, a lot about those types of prayer forms as well. And so a spiritual direction relationship is where once or twice a month you meet with this person and you share about where are, where's God showing, where do you recognize God showing up in your daily life? Mm -hmm. Not just Wednesday night Bible study, not just Sunday in church, not just on my knees saying the memorized prayers or, or the praise, the petition, or all these different acronyms we have that we were taught as kids in the different Christian traditions. Mm -hmm. no, like actively, where is God showing up when you walk out the door in the morning? Because if you believe he created the heavens and the earth, brothers and sisters, like God is everywhere in our daily life. Do we yeah. have our eyes and ears open and our hearts open and our heads on a swivel for it? So a good spiritual director will do a lot of the Socratic method of asking questions and trying to discern. That's another word, discernment, consolation um, is another word that's important in that. But they try to help you figure out more where God is showing up in your life through asking questions. And if they give suggestions, they might be maybe just some, Hey, this reading jumped out to me. There's this book in this chapter that reminded me of something you talked about. So maybe some other Christian or maybe somebody that's not even a Christian has experienced something that you're going through. And I remember a book that has a chapter about it. And I'm going to tell you to maybe read that chapter and think about how it relates to your life. Yeah. Well, and maybe try to see how your prayer life's going. Yeah. While you were talking about that, it kind of like a, it's almost like a, a gratitude journal kind of popped into my head. It's yeah. like, you know, where can you, every single day, where can you express or where can you recognize a moment of gratitude in every single day? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, whether that's spiritually or where can you recognize the hand of the Lord in your, in your, your daily life, or even if, you know, just personally or with those around you or, or just being grateful in general, I think that goes a, a long way. And then being, being accountable, uh, kind of having this, this partner that you work with, even if it's, you know, once or twice a month or whatever else, but it's just accountability of, Hey, how are you doing? And it's, 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 I think that accountability could be maybe writing those things down as well. If you don't specifically have someone to talk to right now. Uh, but just as you were talking, that kind of popped into my head of um, the, the similarities between that. Yeah. We, we huge fan of gratitude journaling. Yeah, totally. And that's something that I've been trying to do this, this year. Uh, still been uh, working on my new year's resolutions from the beginning of the year. And I'm starting to make <laughs> new ones for this next year, but like, a gratitude journal is something that I've been keeping uh, quite frequently this year, just writing down things I'm thankful for, five things I'm thankful for every single day. And like you talked about, uh, how how is how is the hand of God showing itself in my day today? You know, these types of things help you pour out a little bit of that cup of misery that you have, you know, because you're saying, well, maybe it's not so bad. You know, I, I do see good things that are in, in the world. And that is kind of like, um, you know, replacing it with goodness. Uh, and so I think that that is also therapeutic during these stressful times. And sometimes just taking a, uh, a catalog of the things that you're thankful for, uh, counting your many blessings, you know, it can be very therapeutic as well. Mm -hmm. And there's science behind everything that both of you guys just said. 
our brains, all of our brains tend towards the negative, the worry and the to-do list. Mm -hmm. So it takes training. So that gratitude journaling or even pausing to reflect at the last 24 hours and thinking about where I experienced peace, joy, love, where I was in the present moment. I think sometimes we need to expand our horizons of what it means for God to show up in our life. Are you ever spending time with people or in certain places where you will really, not until you're done with it, didn't realize how much time passed because you were truly present in the moment? I would say that was time you were spending with God. So the fruits of the spirit and being present to the moment are precious gifts that we're not always aware of unless we train ourselves to do the gratitude journal or some type of reflective prayer at, you know, once a day, whether you want to start it in the morning or at the end of the day where you look back and say, you know, where did I feel God drawing me in? Or where did I feel peace? Where did I feel love? Where did I feel appreciated? Where did I feel affirmed? And Hey man, those are winks from God that, and yeah. in my world, I'm not going to try to convince you. Of oh that. No, I think you're totally right. And like, please convince us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and like, I like what you said. Uh, where did I feel love, joy? And and if you're coming up at the end of the day and you're saying, I didn't feel love or I didn't feel joy today, or I maybe, I, then where can I find that? Then, then if you're taking that personal inventory and you're saying, where did I, where did I show love today? Where did I show kindness today? Uh, and it puts you in a seat of, well, maybe I need to go out and seek seek that out. So you got opportunities to love and to serve. Uh, and then you can kind of attract that to you uh, by being active mm -hmm. in what you're doing. And then also you can take a personal inventory. It's like, man, I haven't connected with it, with anybody. Just, I just work at home at my desk all day and I haven't connected with anybody. So I want to go out to lunch with someone, you know, and just chat, chat at lunch or something like that. So mm -hmm. it allows you to, to realize, wow, I'm off track here or I need to touch base with someone. I, I think all of these things are kind of excellent. We're talking about, uh, you know, specifically, I guess we're talking about men's health more than more than anything. But I mean, I think kind of all these tools that we have talked through, whether it's, you know, having a companion or taking an inventory or uh, being being able to 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 talk about things openly. Um, and w when you were talking about uh, kind of those men retreats where people would circle up and, and in a very vulnerable s space be able to to share ideas and thoughts and memories freely i think that takes a lot of trust um yeah a, a lot of trust to be able to to kind of open up and trust that no one's gonna i don't know use that information against you and just in 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 the life of competitiveness that we live in oh you know he makes more money than i do or we're up for the same job promotion or whatever else it's like i can't give away any weakness because if that's perceived, then I'm going to get set back and I'm going to get what, whatever else. Um, so I, I think those are just some kind of steps. I really like those steps and I take a mental note of those as well because, uh, you know, I think it is a, I think it is a, a, a crisis, right? I think that there are um, definitely men out there that don't feel like they have anyone to turn to. Uh, which is mm -hmm. which is really sad, and um, you know, we encourage you, you know, any listener out there that feels that way, uh, you know, reach out, reach out to somebody, reach out to, you know, if 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 you you don't have anyone, then try to find a local church or something else that that, that can provide that that for you. So, 
And I know that uh, you've done some counseling with some police officers, right? I think I was looking through your Instagram, and one of the things I, I thought was interesting that you said, specifically with police officers, is sometimes, you know, they're in a position where maybe they, th- maybe they think. You know, I feel like what I'm doing, or, or or this is wrong, or or this certain aspect is is really backwards. But if they say anything about it, then they might get ostracized by their own community. So then they just have to suffer in silence, or else they'll get ostracized. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. That's the veteran and the first responder community. If I if I share my emotions around the wrong people, and they're the the macho suck it up type. It's more me sometimes, meaning I, whoever's sharing, going, oh, no, my partners are not going to trust me the next time we have a really intense call. Because I shared with them that that call broke my heart to see that family go through this. So I'm more worried that they're going to think I'm too weak to handle the next difficult call. Or if I speak up, am I not going to get promoted? Because somebody's going to say that guy is weak and that bothered him. Or I'm going to try out for SWAT or gang and I'm not going to make the team. Or is somebody going to tell the department psychologist, am I going to get a quote fit for duty? Meaning, am I going to be on the rubber gun squad? Oh, no, I'm going to take your gun and badge and put you behind a desk. So there's a lot of problems that men already have a stigma against having sharing their thoughts and feelings or being vulnerable or getting help or opening up about this stuff, then you're in a profession where you think you might, some people might even get fired because depending on your state and what the rules are, if you have PTSD or even a physical injury, there might be a way for them just to fire you and reduce the spreadsheet of costs for the city or county. So yeah, there's a, and that's why there's things like Wounded Blue, which is a nonprofit. You can get quote peer support outside your agency, cop line, is 24 seven, you call this number and it's all retired police officers you can vent to, they don't take any information. So the the, the layers of confidentiality help with first responders at least. Mm-hmm. And that's something I tried to do as a cop and now I do as a chaplain or peer support around first responders or I go shooting with veterans transitioning out of the military a lot going in to law enforcement. And I try to just open up and talk about it because I'm older. I have some experience. There's another uh, sheriff's deputy from San Luis Obispo. That's a, he's 55. He's yoked. He's like a brown belt in jujitsu. And he's a firearms instructor under like 30 different systems. And since we're older guys that are in shape and can still shoot fast, and he's also a Marine veteran, uh-huh. after two days of shooting with these younger men, there's some street credibility between the two of us of how we look and how we shoot. Uh-huh. And if you, you can't be an idiot, you can't be a jerk or an ego. You got to yeah. be an authentic person and really love and affirm these other men, no matter how old they are, but definitely if they're younger, we need, and that's something we don't do in our culture either. What are we doing to affirm, encourage, and guide the younger men, but spend some time with guys. And then at the end of the day, even for 10 minutes, just have a talk. Hey, I know a lot of you guys have been in combat. I know you're going to become police officers. You saw bad stuff at war. You're going to see bad things as cops. You got to have life balance. Lifting, fighting, and shooting are important, but you need some stress management, self-regulation, hobbies and friends outside all this warrior stuff. And you need to figure out how to deal with the misery and the adversity 
and get what's called more post-traumatic growth. That's an area of psychology where they study POWs or you get a broken leg and you go through a divorce. Eventually, a lot of these things make us stronger if we, we deal with them instead of the drink, the porn, the gamble, buy toys, stay hyperproductive and stay super busy so we never deal with our thoughts and emotions. But yeah, sometimes all it takes, I'm running circles talking, but no, at the end of a couple of days of shooting mm-hmm. is just have a five or 10 minute talk with those guys about that and say, hey man, I go to therapy, I do yoga, I journal, I go on spiritual retreats, I do, I meditate. Mm-hmm. And I think you guys should try to find something, whether it's playing music, woodworking, art, gardening, find something to calm and ground yourself and be present in the moment and reflect on life. And then guys will start opening up, not everybody, but you just give people permission by just opening up yourself. Yeah. Hey guys, that was a great first episode. This was the end of part one. Uh, We do part two next week and we talk more about uh, masculinity. Matt shares some great insights into uh, you know, some of his experiences and, and how you, know, you can mesh uh, emotional intelligence and also that masculinity uh, that he's experienced as a police officer and, and, and doing SWAT and other things. And so uh, go ahead and tune in uh, to hear the second part of that conversation. Uh, it's a great conversation uh, next week. So yeah, appreciate the listen, like, subscribe, leave us a comment. Uh, we love We love hearing from everybody. Yep, let's build that creed together. All right, let's do it. <laughs>